it's um, it's providential. I had no idea what the scripture reading was going to be, and um, this the message I'm preaching today is not it's not the one you look forward to preaching as much as others, but it's where we are in the text. But I want to read that again in Proverbs three five. He says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding." In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And so as we're in Second Peter now, in chapter 2, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you guys know what Absorbing Junior is? Absorbing Junior is a medicine. It, it's used for... To, to you can rub it on your sore muscles and it helps it it kind of absorbs and it helps sore muscles but it's also really good for like bug bites and mosquito bites and things like that it it clears them up when i was in boy scouts about midway through the week of boy scout camp we would have a deal where we bring all the young kids out the young guys the new campers and we would line them up and we'd break up the absorbing junior they'd have Courtney's laughing because I talked about Boy Scouts. <laughs> but anyway, we, we would break up the Absorbing Junior, and they'd have bug bites on their legs. And the older guys got to go and dab. It, it had this little sponge thing on it, and you dabbed it on there, and it, would, it, it was good for them. But it also burned a little, and so we kind of liked it. But my point in that is sometimes things that are really good for us burns a little it's a little tough going down and that that's where we are and so i was thankful for that proverb because it's god's word and he give it he gave it to us for a reason and we need to take heed in those reasons so as we as we do that just keep that in mind today um, as we look at these warnings that peter has given us let's pray father i thank you god for this morning i thank you Lord, just for gathering us here, I thank you for uh, Ronnie and his faithfulness in, in leading him um, to evangelism. Thank you for the group that's coming uh, to, to share the gospel, to preach the gospel on the campus. God, and I pray for them, each one of them, um, that you would give them strength, that you would give them boldness, that you would give them compassion for the lost souls who they will be reaching out to. I thank you for Brady and his faithfulness to come forth just on the spot and, and, and demonstrate how to go out and just preach the gospel with the lost. I, I just praise you for those things. And I pray now as we look at this scripture, as we kind of change, change gears a little bit and we look at the church and warnings that you've given us, God, that you would help give me clarity, that you would deliver this message and just use me as a as a vessel to bring this truth and God that we would take it to heart that we would take heed of what's going on around us and that we would uh, you would increase our discernment in spiritual matters in Jesus name I pray amen <clears throat> so we're in second Peter chapter 2 and I, I, I got down through about verse 11 um, last time and as we look further into this second chapter, um, 
one thing I was just I was just kind of meditating on on this 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 entire chapter is it's a bleak warning as I read down through it as I've studied it more and more it, it's a bleak warning that Peter is charged with and I thought as he's writing this what do you ever just try to put yourself in their place as they're writing this scripture did they know they were writing scripture they were obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God-breathed, it's Scripture, but as he's writing this, it, it's like preaching this. It's not necessarily fun. It's not, it's not, um, it's not always going to be taken the easiest way, but it's a bleak warning that he's giving here. Chapter 1 was very encouraging talking about how we can make our calling and election sure, and it's, all, it's kind of on the positive side. But now, chapter 2, it, it's kind of looking at the negative side. And it's necessary that we do that from time to time. The, the, and that there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. First, it shows us that God himself isn't always positive, and sometimes it's necessary to point out the bleak side of things. It's necessary to point out negative things going on in the church, negative things going on in people's lives. It's never fun, but it's necessary. And we need to, the second thing is we need to constantly be aware of the possibility of false teachers arising in our midst. So let's look at verse 12. He says, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. He's talking, if you, if you can remember those first few verses in the chapter. Am I getting a little echo? Is that better? A little better? It's better. I'll just keep talking. He can adjust it. But so he's talking about the false teachers here. These are like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish. He compares them to brute beasts. But if you look back at verse 10, you'll remember that this isn't talking about as much of false doctrine in this case, but the false morality that these teachers are living in. Now, I mean, it goes hand in hand, doctrine and morality, but this isn't, it's a little bit different than some of the other false teachers that have been dealt with in the New Testament. Look at verse 10. He says, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries or, or glories. They're not, they're not afraid to speak evil of the glories of Christ. And so these false teachers compare to brute beasts in two ways. First, they're ignorant of what they speak. The same way you, you think about animals and they go about, you can go into the, the mountains, you can go into the desert, you can go wherever they are, and they're ignorant to the creation that's around them. All they do is act on instinct for survival, mainly for survival, they're ignorant. A wolf will howl at a moon, and he has no idea what the moon is, right? And these false teachers, so just the way those brute beasts are ignorant to the creation, these false teachers are ignorant to the glories of the Creator. Not just the creation, they're ignorant to the glories of the Creator. The second thing is, 
They will end in destruction. What do you do if you have a beast that's terrorizing your farm? You catch it and you destroy it. If there's a fox coming into the hen house every night, you're going to go out there and you're going to find a way to kill that thing because you can't afford for it to be coming in and destroying everything you got. If there's raccoons coming into the cornfield every night, you're going to find a way to get rid of them things. You're going to set traps. You're going to put poison out. You're going to do something to get rid of them. And that's the ultimate end to these false deceptive teachers. Just like these brute beasts, they will, they're going to come to an end, and the end will be judgment. And you can also see another thing very clear, and it's something that we should always be on the lookout for, and that is spiritual pride. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. And spiritual pride can arise in any doctrine, in any type of church. You can have complete good doctrine and still have spiritual pride. You can have false doctrine and have spiritual pride. You can be like these guys who have a false morality, and there's still a spiritual pride that comes up in that. And it's amazing how it works in false teachers. There's, main, there's two main things, I think, where we really truly see spiritual pride the most. The first one is extremely legalistic people. And I know this from experience because I was one. When you are, and you, you have probably talked to some, you know some people who are caught up in legalism. And though, when you are extremely legalistic, you look at everybody else as inferior because they don't have... They're not keeping the same commands that you're keeping. Now, never mind the fact that you're, you're doing other things that are just terrible, but you got this list, and they're not keeping your list, and so you become very prideful in that. But that's not the one that, he's deal, that Peter's dealing with here. I think Peter is actually dealing with the other one where you see extreme pride, and it's not as obvious. This pride is not as obvious to us, and that's the extremely liberal Christian. Let's say it in quotations there. Because I think I think that's what Peter's addressing here. Um, it seems very likely that these false teachers that he's talking about are abusing the liberty that we have in Christ to abound more in sin. And and there always has been, but it, it seems like this movement of Christians is growing, and the, what I'm talking about are these liberal Christians who are extremely judgmental about being judgmental. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I know it sounds crazy, but that's what's going on. Well, you can't be judging me. Why not? Did did you just judge me? Are you saying I'm judgmental? Isn't that judgmental? You see what I'm saying? It's it's. It's circular. It doesn't work. But this is getting extremely popular. Um, and and the way the pride is, and you'll see these people that have that mindset, and they'll have their nose in their air because they're way more accepting than you are. But that but they're not accepting towards Orthodox Christians, though, right? 
Look on in, look on what Peter goes on to uh, describe them further. Verse 13, and, it, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. There are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. It looks, it looks to me like these men are doing in the daytime what most sinners only do at night. They're, they're doing it and flaunting it. Whatever it is, um, they are feasting. It says they are feasting with the church in broad daylight. But they show up at these feasts. So you can kind of picture the church gathering together for a meal. We're going to have a meal this afternoon. We're gathering together for some kind of celebration, some kind of feast. We're all coming together. And these men are showing up as spots and blemishes right there amongst them. Why? Why are they doing this? The next verse, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. So it looks like they cannot even control their lustful thoughts while they're in the gathering with the church. You know, there's, there's a lot of men that struggle with lust, and I don't know, maybe women too, but I know a lot of men do. But most of the time, I think there's a switch kind of like, at certain times, it's, it's when they're in the dark, in the secret, that those thoughts arise. Most, I think, men can face those thoughts, even the ones who are struggling with it, when they're in the church, when they're with the brethren, when they're with... In that setting, but it looks like these men are not only struggling with it, but actually inviting it. They are just giving into it, even in church functions, even when they come together to feast. They're giving into adultery. Their eyes are full of of adultery. They're they're lusting in these times. And what are they doing? They're enticing unstable souls. So to justify it, they call it truth. What, what, what does unstable souls mean? He's, he's talking about new converts, less mature Christians, people who aren't as grounded in the Word of God. They're enticing them. They're going after them. There's entire movements going on. I don't know what it was like in Peter's day. It looks like these men were just creeping into the church, but we have entire movements going on right here in the United States that does precisely this. The one that came to my mind first was the emergent church. I don't know if you guys know much about the emergent church. kind of started in the early 2000s from what I know. And very liberal theological stuff going on. And when that came to my mind, and I thought, wait... I haven't heard much about the emergent church lately. The movement seems to have kind of been died down. So I did. I started doing a little research. What happened to the emergent church? Well, what happened to it was it's not any longer you have the emergent church over here and you have all the rest of the church here. It's infiltrated. It's infiltrated way harder than we, than I even maybe realize, way harder than any of us would probably like to admit. 
in what we would call evangelical churches, in what we would have 20 years ago just considered orthodox Christianity. So I looked at, here's a few statistics to demonstrate this. 43% of young evangelical, and I don't know the age that they did on this. When they say young, I'm guessing 30 and under, maybe younger. But 43% of those evangelical Protestants, is what it says, support same-sex marriage. 43% of professing young Christians support same-sex marriage. Nearly 80% of what they call born-again millennials, now I would argue maybe the born-again, I mean, but that claim to be born-again have had premarital sex, and two-thirds of them continue to practice that. The Christian Post reported that one in three evangelical young people do not believe Jesus Christ is the only path to God. And pastors are teaching this stuff under the guise of peace and tolerance. That's what Pete, and here's the thing, it's not new. Peter was dealing with it right here. It's just become more prevalent. And the, the, the really sad thing about it is anybody who speaks against this are labeled as legalistic and intolerant. And, and we, it's sad because Peter warned against it, and if the warning would have been taken, maybe it could have been prevented. prevented I'm sorry. Here's a quote from Dan Kimball. Dan Kimball was part of the emergent church movement when it started. And he, he, by his own admission, he thought it was more about going to be more about evangelism and just going out and reaching like what they would call postmodern people. And so he was part of it. And then when he realized the error that it was going, he got out. But listen to what he said about this. He says, my concern is seeing younger Christians, especially who don't know these theological issues, were discussed before and the results of the discussion throughout church history get caught up in thinking this is a new expression of Christianity. That's what he's talking about. They, they think this is all new that because they haven't learned the theological issues and they haven't learned church history, and so they think this is all new when it is pretty much class, classical extreme liberal, liberalism in a new cooler wrapper. That's all it is. And it's 43% of our young people in churches have bought into it. 80%, two-thirds, depending on which thing you look at. If two-thirds of the young people believe Christ is not the only way, then we have two-thirds of our young people in churches teaching Sunday schools, voting, if, if it's a church that votes, choosing, helping to direct the path of that church who are not saved. If you don't believe Jesus is the only way, I'm sorry, you don't understand who Jesus is. You've missed him completely. And so does that sound pretty close to what verse 14 said? I think, I think, it's, I think Peter is preaching to us. Peter is writing this to us. It's still, this is the living word of God, and it is still just as relevant now as it was when Peter wrote it. 
And look at verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. We don't, we, we don't know. Peter doesn't give us the full details of what these men were all about. We can, we can get a pretty good idea. Um, when the Israelites were approaching the land of Moab, Balak, the king, was afraid of them, and he sent for a prophet named Balaam. And do you guys remember the story? He offered Balaam money, offered him money to come and curse the Israelites. So we know that Balaam loved gain from wrongdoing. Specifically, he loved gain from someone willing to pay for his prophetic services. Now just and so now Peter's comparing these men, these false teachers to Balaam. Now consider that, consider the new liberal theology movement that we see infiltrating the church. And the emergent wasn't the only thing. It's coming from other directions too. But can you think of anyone who really likes extreme financial gains from religious services? Does the word of faith preachers pop up in any minds other than mine? I mean, it it really is... And what's so sad is, here's the thing, they own most of anything that comes across TV with the name of Christianity. If somebody just gets curious about Christianity and starts flipping through a TV channel, that's more than likely what they're going to see is some word of faith preacher talking about health, wealth, and you give me this and you'll get blessed three times, and if you're sick... You just claim it and you'll be healed. And if you're not healed, it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. And I mean, just a complete false doctrine. Terrible doctrine. Matter of fact, it goes farther than that. This is not going to turn into an anti-word of faith sermon, but it is something that needs to be warned of, just like the emergent movement inside the church. Because here's the thing, that stuff has infiltrated all denominations, all of them. I was talking to a lady the other day who's a member of a free will Baptist church. She was talking about being sick. And she said, but you know what? I rebuked it. I was like, okay. And she said, and you know what? I felt better. For a couple of hours and then she had to call in sick to work because she was sick and it's like okay but i know your denomination does not teach this stuff but but it's coming from so many directions and if you think that this is you think that your household can't be infiltrated or if you think it can't sneak into our church i mean peter's preaching to a church I mean, he's not preaching to a false church here. These are brothers. He calls them Christians. And it has snuck in then so long ago without near as many avenues to get through the door as we have today. If it can sneak in there, it can sneak in anywhere. So we have to be on guard. We have to be discerning. We have to be ready for this stuff. 
In verse 16, but he was rebuked. And here's, the, here's the, I think, the key. He's talking about Balaam still. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. And that's really a cool story. I mean, you got this false prophet. He's getting paid to come curse Israel. And God doesn't send a man. He sends a donkey. And he will stop it. When, he, when, when God has decided, I've had enough, that's far enough, you will be stopped. It may be by the mouth of a donkey. It may be by the mouth of a preacher. It may be, I mean, he can use any, I mean, I think this illustrates he can use any method he wants. And he will. He will stop it in his time. And, and as it says back in verse 12, they will face judgment. And he will stop these false teachers. But but at this point, looking at this, just looking at this warning that he gives us, and before we go into the last part of the chapter, we need to take this time and just remember how important it is to be grounded in the Word of God. You don't you don't want to be duped. I've been duped. I've been I've followed false teaching. And you you turn around, and it and it's just it, it, it's an extremely hard thing when you realize that it, it's just it's not good. You don't want to be duped by these guys, and you don't want your children to be duped by these guys. Here's the thing: when when we are born again, we're not born in a time of peace where we have a lot of time to just gross and and relax no we're born into a war zone when you're spiritually born you're spiritually born into a war zone and and satan and his minions are not going to give you warm-up time they're coming after you immediately this world the thorns and the vines of this world will immediately start trying to choke you out. And the way to battle against that, and they'll do it with false doctrine, they'll do it with false morality, they'll do it by calling you legalistic and intolerant, and you just need to be more about love and peace and tolerance. That's how it comes, and pretty soon those vines get wrapped around new converts and start trying to choke them out. And the way to fight against that is by reading the Word of God. Know it. Teach our children. We need to teach our children the Word of God so that when they, same thing, when the, when the world starts coming at them, they'll know the answer. That, that's, um, it's just, I can't emphasize the importance of that enough. So now, let's move on into verse 17. <clears throat> These are wells without water, Clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I've never heard that verse quoted on Caleb. That's not a positive, encouraging Caleb type quote. But yet, Peter wrote it. The Holy Spirit gave it to us. God has given it to us as his word, as truth. They're wells without water. Can you imagine going, you're traveling, 
is before we had cars or you haven't had a car, you're having to walk through the heat. You've walked miles and miles. Maybe it's over in the Middle East and you're traveling across the desert and you see a well and you're dying of thirst and you come to it and you drop the bucket. There's nothing in it. What good was the well? It was worthless. It was no good. It actually caused you more harm because you've wasted all this energy trying to get water out of a well that didn't have any water in it. I also thought, he said, he, he said your clouds carried by a tempest. Do you remember a few years ago when we had that terrible drought? And, I mean, I think it was like 40 days in a row above 100, and it didn't rain all summer. And, I mean, it was by far the worst I had ever seen. And I remember, man... It would kind of cloud up a little bit. You'd see the clouds forming, and you're like, and then there was a few times it even kind of got dark, and you're thinking it's going to rain. And then just as fast as they showed up, they just. That's what these guys. That's what Peter is comparing these guys to here. What are they good for? They're good for nothing. They're good for a false hope, which is not a hope at all. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. They promise them liberty. That's how they entice the unstable converts. That's how they entice the less mature Christians. Or even more mature Christians I've seen get enticed by this thing called liberty. And it's, it's enticing because of this. Liberty is a good thing. We have true liberty in Christ. But they twist that. They take that truth right there And they twist it just a little bit so that it's not true liberty anymore. And they lead men astray with it. Look at 1 Peter 2.16. 1 Peter 2.16, he says, Live as free men, yet without using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but live as slaves of God. The problem is that so many want to leave out the second part of this verse. And many others. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. But that's what's going on. Men, women, youth are taking their liberty in Christ and twisting it so that they can use it as an opportunity to indulge in their love of money, their love for praise, their love, this is, I think, a big one for sexual pleasure. 
There's this liberty that we speak of, but look at the, I mean, when you look at the way Peter says it, yet without using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but live as slaves to God. And so you've got to ask yourself a question. When these liberties are being taught and these liberties are being preached, and they're saying, yeah, you can do this and you can go there and you can do this, is that what God would want you to do? You belong to him. We have liberty because we're free from the law of sin and death. But we're not free the way that people like would like to explain it. We're a slave to Christ. We're bought with a price. We belong to him. But it's like I've explained to people sometimes. Slavery is not bad if you've got a perfect owner. Slavery, it would be the best situation if you had the perfect slave master because why he's going to provide everything you need you're never going to have to worry about it because he can take care of everything you cast your cares on him and all you do is work we're all going to have to work anyway why not work for the perfect master why not work for the perfect boss but he's also going to require us to leave some of these things behind But in that requiring, he's going to give us the desire to leave these things behind. And that's where you have to check your heart. If you don't have the desire to leave these things behind, if you don't have that in your your soul, in your heart, to drop them, then you may not be who you think you are. You may not be a slave to Christ. You may still be a slave to money or to praise or to sexual pleasure. And so it's just a great warning that Peter has given us. Don't be enticed by this false teaching. Don't be led into this idea of you just need to be more loving. You just need to be more tolerant. No. Peter's, I think Peter's telling us here we need to have discernment. I think that's been the entire, I mean, Peter's both books are largely about discernment. Discerning how to act when people treat you this way. Discerning how to treat false teachers. And that comes through the study of scriptures. It comes through not only reading them and studying them, but by being taught them as well. And studying what other people have already figured out. It's already... I mean, it's like I said, this emergent movement, it's nothing new. You can go read commentators from 200 years ago, and they were dealing with the same stuff. It's maybe a different package, but it is the same lies. You go 400 years ago, same thing. It's all, there is no, I mean, Satan's not that creative. He doesn't come up with new lies. He just repackages the old ones. And so there's men who have gone before us. And even now... There's men who have gone before us that we can personally meet with, um, that can stand and teach, and that can give warning and guidance. And if there's something that seems a little funny, it probably is. And take it to another brother. Take it to another sister and ask them, hey, what do you think of this? (laughs) There was the, the pastor over in Stratford, Bob Chandler, he had studied the 
the, the cults so much. He knew them better than the people in the cults. And if you heard something kind of interesting, like, man, that seems kind of, that's an odd idea I've never heard of. <coughs> I could take that to him, and he'd go, oh, yeah, that guy's a Jehovah Witness. How do you know that? Well, he's just studied it so much. So, And there's people like him for that. There's people that have been involved in legalistic things that if you <coughs> if you bring something up to them, they're going to recognize it immediately. Use one another. Help one another with this discernment. <coughs> okay, look at verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Now, what we see here is a possibility, a very real possibility, that people will hear Christ and they will profess Christ and they will even learn and seem to follow him on the outside, but they never really knew him. And the second thing we see from this is the more evidence you have of Christ's reality, the more severe your judgment for not repenting and turning to that reality. Thank you, brother. Did you hear that? The more evidence you have of Christ's reality, and I don't know, I don't know everybody's situation, but if you're one of those people who have heard the gospel preached over and over, you've been brought up in church, in a solid church, and you hear things, and you don't repent, your judgment's going to be more severe than those who never heard it. And that's a sobering thought. That's that's a very sobering thought. It's 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 it should be heartbreaking for us to know that there's people out there like that. There's people who have walked alongside of us as a Christian and then fallen away from that truth. Now, what Peter is not teaching us is that you can lose your salvation. That is not and that, that is a place I've heard people go to this verse and say, see, these men, they were saved and they lost their salvation. But you, all you have to do to understand that that's not true is continue reading. Let's, let's look at verse 21. For it would have been better for them to, to not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Okay, this says they know the way of righteousness. And they've heard it, no doubt. They've heard it preached, but they were never born again. There's a difference between knowing something here. I've talked to people on the street, and Brady has too, I'm sure. You go and you talk to them, and some, man, there's people out there that know the Bible better than I do for sure, that are unbelievers. And they can tell you what's in it, and they'll sometimes correct you on what you said wrong. And they have it here, but they don't have it here. And I, and I know this is true. They were never born again because of verse 22. But, but it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed, 
to her wallowing in the mire. The point of that proverb is that the dog is still a dog and the sow is still a pig. She's still a sow. There was never any change on the inside. They only changed on the outside. And I know this from lots of experience. You can clean a pig up. We do it every week. We give them a bath. We wash them. We get every bit of dirt off of them, don't we, girls? We get them clean. Put some smell good stuff on them. Get them shined up. And when we take them home, I promise you the first thing they're going to do, well, the first thing they're going to do is go to the feed trough, see if there's anything in there. And if there's not, they're going to go find the dirtiest place and lay down in it. It's what they do. They're pigs. Dogs are the same way. You could, you've, seen, you've seen the people with the cute little dogs, and they like to have them in the house and all that. And they're, oh, they're just, and they don't shed, and it's the perfect little house dog. I don't care how cute and how pristine that little house dog is. When it vomits, it does what dogs do. I saw this happen one time. Some friends of ours, we were on a camp camping trip, and they were walking their little dog, and it was this cute little thing. And I I don't know if I'd call it a dog. If it can't. If if it if a cat chases the dog, I'm just not so sure about that. But this was one of those, and they're walking it, and, and it vomits. And I'm watching. I'm just sitting in the chair, and and the the guy that's walking it, he's like, oh, he's like disgusting. It's eating it. And I'm like, yeah, that's what dogs do. It's still a dog. It wasn't changed on the inside. That's what he's talking to. That's what he's talking about with these false teachers. They've cleaned themselves up on the outside. And the ones I'm thinking of will dress either way cool, like they'll be like way relevant, like cool shirt unbuttoned and spiky hair guy, holes in the jeans, and he's really going to fit in that way. Or they're going to have this. $10,000 suit on that just is, I mean, as good as it gets, and I am, look at me, I am making the money, all those things. Those are the two things you see in in these movements so much. They get themselves cleaned up, and they get looking like they're teaching the truth, but on the inside, it's like a whitewashed tomb. It's a whitewashed tomb. They look, they clean it up on the outside, but when you open that thing, what's it going to smell like? rotten flesh and that's what he's saying here that there there is no way he's talking about somebody who was saved and then not saved he's talking about they never were changed they were only changed on the outside they never were changed on the inside so when given a chance when seeing the heart the truth is revealed And that truth is revealed here in Peter by seeing their actions when they're out in daylight and they got their lustful eyes and their eyes for adultery and their spots and blemishes. And it seems like as you think about these things, it seems like that would be an easy deal to address. Like, oh, okay, this guy, we'll just get rid of him. All he's doing is lusting and he's... But it's never that easy. 
It's never that easy. It's always somebody you know and somebody that you thought was truly your brother or sister in Christ. And they come in and they start enticing and they start doing it slow. Nobody ever walks through the door and says, hey, I'm a heretic. I'm here to teach you false doctrine. Don't happen that way. They get to know you. You get to know them. And then it gets difficult. And that's what makes this this chapter tough. It, it's a tough place to end. I mean, as we finish that chapter. Um, it it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy place to end. And then as we go into communion, it's not even an easy transition to that. But this is where God providentially had me to preach. But it does translate because no matter, I think Tim said it well ago, no matter how great the sin, grace is greater. No matter how bleak it seems, Christ is brighter. And that's what we can focus on now as, as, we, as we move on into chapter 3. It does get better. Um, and we'll do that the next time. But even these men who he's talking about, has anybody ever been a false convert in here? I was one. I was a false convert. I was that dog, or I was that sow that had cleaned up on the outside, but I was still inside just wanting to get back in the mud. But God still, after however long that happened, God still saved me. And so even these men who he's talking about, even these men who are leading this and, and enticing these people, are not, they're not out of reach of salvation. They can still be saved. And, it's, and that goes right back to what we heard this morning with the preaching of the gospel. And so our answer to that discernment, first of all, and avoiding that doctrine, definitely, but then what do we do with those men, those women that are false teaching this stuff, that are bringing this stuff in, infiltrating? What do we do when we get a chance to talk to one of them? Or what do we do when we get a chance to talk to somebody who has been duped into that? We preach the gospel to them. And, and I know we, we spend a lot of time, and, and it's it's a right warning, like on the Word of Faith teachers and we kind of beat those guys up, but the truth is they're lost. They need to hear the gospel. We need to pray for their souls so that they would be saved. I think that's what we should focus on as we move on in, into the last part of the book. False teachers, we've got to warn against them. And we've got to keep them from teaching. And we've got to keep them from taking positions of authority but we also have to pray for them and we have to preach the gospel to them. That good news that Jesus Christ died. And he died so that men like them, men like me, men and women like us, all of us could be saved. And and that so it isn't as bleak as it sounds. It's just a kind of a bleak place to stop the bad news has been given but the good news still reigns christ is still on the throne and he's still in control and what he does will be good and righteous and holy and loving so